Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of The 1099. As always, I am your host, Joseph Noop, and I hope you are all staying safe. California friends, I'm right there with you up here in the Bay Area. Make sure that you are staying safe and got that go bag packed. Uh, friends up in Portland and Seattle, make sure that you are staying safe. Shout out to Khalif and his family for um, sticking through it all. And I just hope everyone is having a great week. This week, we have a great conversation about uh, hopes for next-gen accessibility uh, improvements or additions uh, with two of the uh, smartest people I can think of to talk about on this subject, uh, the lovely Courtney Craven, editor-in-chief of Can I Play That, and Grant Stoner, mobility editor at Can I Play That. How are you two doing today? Good. Thanks for having us. Yeah, I'm doing well. Thank you for having us. Yeah, you know, I, um, I, Courtney, I had the pleasure of meeting you in person in Chicago, uh, mm -hmm. about, a. Uh, it wasn't, it was this January or something. Yeah, it was, it was only January. Wow. Time yep. means, seems like forever ago. Time literally <laughs> means nothing. Uh, and Grant, I have not had the pleasure of meeting you in person, but, uh, any, you know, dear friend of Aiden's is a dear friend of mine. And so, thank you so much, guys, for coming on the show and uh, lending a little bit of expertise. Before we dive into things, Courtney Grant, can either you tell me what is for those who don't know, what is can I play that, and what is the overall mission of uh, your your group? Um, well, we started as kind of a hub for disabled gamers to get the information they need about games they wanted to play. Hence the name, can I play that? Because too often the answer is no, mm -hmm. can't. Um, and then as we grew and as our content kind of evolved, we've also become a pretty big hub for developers for learning about accessibility. And, uh, yeah, we've just, we've kind of grown from both angles. We're, we're luckily we're pretty well known throughout the industry now, both with disabled gamers and with developers. And it's it's nice to be in a position that people know that we're kind of a, a go-to if they have any questions or need to be put in touch with somebody or need to learn something, we are always there to help. I, you know, it's funny to think about uh, the the gradual increase in uh, people who, you know, focus on the, the world of accessibility in, in video games. And so often I feel like a lot of it is kind of singular folks, you know, like influencer types or, or YouTubers or just individuals with, with uh, uh, passion projects of their own. But it's, it's so different and, and interesting to see a website, a like with an editorial structure uh, arise out of that mission. Um, does that give you guys anything uh, unique to consider when trying to uh, be responsible uh, uh, advocates for accessibility in games and and when you're creating content like that? Grant, I think you're probably better to speak to that point since yeah. you're the actual journalist here. <laughs> I would say we have a duty to be honest with what we produce, but also we're in a unique position where we can literally teach developers and other individuals how we play games like while, while our reviews and features and news and opinions speak to the, the broader sense of accessibility, we can also introduce concepts like, if I can play a game, 
because I don't have this, this, or this, how can other people play the same game? So, it's almost like, in a sense, we... It's, it's weird, because in the one hand, we wouldn't be able to accomplish this without being a true journalism site. Mm -hmm. But on the, the other hand, a lot of people don't view us as a journalism site, as more of an advocacy site, which is fine. But it's the work that we do is purely journalism. And I love that because we have an opportunity to not only educate but entertain with the stories we create. Yeah, I I think that like the the uh, as I have like gotten older and considered, you know, where does my career path go? Uh, do I stay in journalism or do I take something more on the inside of the industry? It's it's been this weird like volleyball match of of well, I I, I get something by. Uh, I, I get something very unique by being by remaining on the journalism side. Uh, I, I, get, I do get that freedom of speech still. I can I can say what I think fully without having to think about how it will uh, necessarily impact uh, a job or a bottom line of a company I work for. And I like I, like I mentioned, I see so many. Uh, I see a number of accessibility advocates, you know, going the route of uh, a YouTuber or just someone with a, a singular focus. And it's it's interesting to think that you guys have um, uh, a different repertoire because you're aiming to be a journalism site that can ostensibly uh, perhaps hold hold companies and and organizations and people to a little more honesty than uh, a simple promotional video that's part of a marketing campaign, right? Right. Yeah, we, um, the thing is, uh, I always like to say is, we don't owe anyone anything. So even though these developers love us, if their products aren't accessible, we don't have to feel obligated to you know, give them praise or a good review just because they know us. And, you know, before we dive into the general stuff, I want to ask to, uh, I think, especially those of us working on the uh, uh, less fruitful side of uh, the industry, we no one does this kind of work, this games media work for the money, really. And very few people on the games industry side <laughs> do stuff for money, certainly, too. Uh, so it's projects and, and organizations like Can I Play That are often, of course, you know, born from, you know, you, a love, a passion. And I want to ask you guys, what do video games mean to you personally? Um, for me, they're, they're an escape, but they're also, um, for me, they're, they're a connection to what I've always really wanted to do, which is be a fiction writer. Hmm. But I'm a, I'm a much more visual person. Like, I, I love reading, I love writing, but there's just something special about being able to play a great story and, and feel like I have agency in it and really see the characters and explore the world instead of, instead of simply reading them. You know, no matter how good a book is, how wonderfully it's written, there's always going to be limitations to what your imagination can take from the pages of a book. Whereas you get a game, you know, a huge open world like Dragon Age, and you get the, the quality of that art, and it, it really can connect you with the story in a way that 
I haven't been able to to connect with a book. So it gives me kind of an outlet for writing and, and absorbing really good literature in a unique manner. How about you, Grant? So for me growing up, um, I had a lot of internalized ableism and I didn't really want anything to do with my disability whatsoever. So I would like play video games as an escape. And then as I grew older and I realized like this is my life and I, I chose to accept it and fully embrace it, um, I began to use them to connect with friends and socialize because you can't really go out into streets to restaurants and bars and whatnot and and hang out with friends. So I use them as a social aspect. And then after joining my college newspaper, um, I found that I could help people by talking about my experiences. Mm-hmm. So I decided to do it, not so much as advocacy, but sort of like therapy in a sense, write about my experiences. Hopefully that helps someone. And even if it doesn't, it helps me get my thoughts out in the world with my frustrations and concerns about this industry. And, you know, I think uh, concerns about this industry, like the the whole crux of uh, this conversation that I, I, I try to make these episodes a little more unique than just talking about, you know, the general topic that's been uh, discussed at nauseum. Certainly accessibility in games is a conversation that needs to continue happening at, and and filter through all aspects of game design and, and business. Uh, but I thought it would be fun to talk about some of the like uh, accessibility features we want next gen gaming uh, uh, broadly to have. And uh, while we were brainstorming this, uh, Courtney, you, you raised a great point uh, about how one of the most key next steps is viewing all options as accessibility options, not just having necessarily like a dedicated accessibility menu and like mm-hmm. separating that from everything, but making that, removing the stigma uh, attached to it. Uh, so it's not thought of any differently than brightness or volume or a difficulty setting or anything like that. Right. Where, you know, what, what are your thoughts on that as far as uh, uh, the move from uh, uh, to make that such a, a much more broadly uh, accepted uh, way of looking at uh, accessibility options? Um, I think from, from my perspective, it would, it would serve two purposes. It would help to eliminate the stigma and therefore reduce the toxicity. I'm sure you've seen the drama surrounding Sekiro and the, the easy mode and all of that mm-hmm. mess. So... So I think if we were to not do away with accessibility options, because I'm, I'm in the, the court of agreeing with Jerry Thompson that all options are accessibility options and we all benefit from all of them. But if we just kind of blend them in with all the other options, it would help to kind of normalize disabled gamers and eliminate that notion that we're asking for special access, which we're not. We're asking for the same access that anybody else has when they buy a game in the best way that we can 
can experience it. But I also think it would help to kind of sell the idea in the industry. Um, yesterday morning, I, I gave a talk about accessibility for the Women in Games Conference. And one of the questions I got was, how do we sell accessibility to a studio if they're resistant to it? And as, as much as that question always stings because the answer is, for me, why would you be resistant to it? You know, mm -hmm. why don't you want disabled people to be able to play your game? I think if you if you start to change the conversation to all accessibility options or accessibility options are just options, you know, it would it would remove the idea of having to sell it as okay, well, how is this going to earn us money or benefit? How many people are going to be served? by this because if you take a look at games like the last of us 2 there were so many players that don't necessarily identify as disabled using what were there like 60 plus options in the in the accessibility menu yeah so i i think if we kind of just smash everything together make it a nice easy to navigate menu it would help to normalize it on both sides of the the issue how about you, Grant? Um, everything that Courtney said. Also, um, the I, I agree with the sense of like having just overall options improves overall accessibility. But also from a marketing perspective, if you include them, you're also going to increase your revenue because there's millions of disabled individuals who play games. So there really isn't a downside to not making standard accessibility options. Yeah, and you know, I it's interesting that you mention uh, that you guys mentioned marketing as well because uh, one of the one of the kind of like sparks for uh, this specific discussion topic was uh, this article: Are you concerned about the lack of accessibility reveals for next gen? Uh, or no, excuse me, that might not be the title, but the author, uh, Ben Bayless, one of your writers there at uh, Can I Play That? Uh, yeah, the title is, Are You Concerned About the Lack of Next-Gen System-Level Accessibility Reveals? Uh, talking more about the, the accessibility stuff that is built into the hardware itself as opposed to the software. Uh, and it raised a great point about how, you know, of course, we're, we're in the, the absolute uh thrall of the marketing campaign for both the xbox series x and s and uh the playstation 5 and the <laughs> we're, we're hitting that point in video gaming where we're like getting the um uh, uh what's the what's the term i'm thinking not reduced turnout but like uh lower rate of return or whatever mm -hmm. uh where the the leap from one console to the next isn't necessarily that impressive so like they're really hammering home like oh we're you know, native 4K, possibly 8K, uh, and all these other, you know, largely graphical uh, uh, or like CPU-based uh, achievements that their consoles have had. But we haven't seen any of those companies really say, hey, this is, uh, this is why our console is the easiest to play or, or the most accessible uh beyond just price points uh and do you, what do you guys think about that about this pretty distinct lack of marketing that like these companies certainly have tried to make um 
some some waves in terms of showing that they you know are, are investing in accessibility but when it comes to their you know uh, tent pole boxes uh, they're really not uh, mentioning if they've uh, uh, made any advances for the, ne the next generation like that. Mm -hmm. um, I think that the issue is kind of twofold. Like for so long, the, the narrative surrounding disability and disabled people has been, or at, at least as the general public has been told the narrative is that it's a bad thing, right? It's, it's something that you don't talk about. You don't ask questions. You don't stare. And, you know, obviously you don't stare, but it's, it's not such a terrible thing that you need to not like, you, you can't ignore the elephant in the room, right? Mark it to us and you will mm -hmm. get your fan base. Right. And, um, I forgot what my other point was. It was a good one, but I have no <laughs> idea what I was going to say. I believe next. it. <laughs> How about you, Graham? What do you think? The thing that angers me is they're so adamant about marketing like specs and hardware data, which for someone like me, I don't really care. Mm -hmm. My friend built my PC for me because I don't understand what I'm buying. I just wanted to play games and look nice. So for those who don't care about, I don't want to say superficial, but like superficial things like specs, why can they not also market features and options that are actually beneficial to a wide berth of people? Like the, um, the Xbox adaptive controller, Microsoft puts so much energy into marketing that and it paid off mm -hmm. it was airing during the super bowl mm -hmm. campaigns everywhere celebrities were tweeting about it it was insane why don't they just funnel that energy into saying yeah we have system-wide remapping or uh text-to-speech options mm -hmm. stuff like that it just it doesn't make sense to me right i, I sorry go ahead courtney oh sorry um I think it was yesterday, Aiden had replied to a, a tweet from, I want to say someone at IGN. Yeah. <laughs> who could have spoken in depth or used their access to talk about the, the little knobbies that are apparently for fumbling around in the dark. On the, the Xbox, I think it was the Series S, right? I think so, yeah. And... And I think that, that that's where the missed opportunity is, is we're not, we're, we're still not really taken seriously, right? Like we have a lot of people, we get thousands of visitors a month at Can I Play That? And there's still people that call us a blog. And it's right. just like, you know, we're, we're not, we're not really taken seriously. So I really don't think that people know that they're, can be like a whole marketing campaign like with the xac as grant said dedicated to us and i i don't think people really understand how much that will pay off because they don't see the power of the disabled community especially the the size of the disabled community in games 
And I guess it's it's worth fully disclosing I I myself am a uh, $5 Patreon supporter of Can I Play That? So now I am now officially on the uh, the board of shareholders, as it were, uh, <laughs> of this uh, quote-unquote blog. No, I, I totally understand that, yeah. Um, it, I, I, I ended up uh, three, four years ago at this point um, writing a story about uh, how senior citizens, people like eh, 60 and up really, uh, are are ignored by the game industry because there was this researcher, um, Bob DeShooter at the University of Miami, Ohio. Uh, and uh, he, had, he had this great depth of research um, on, on the kinds of games that senior citizens play and the kinds of stories and experiences they're looking for and their thoughts generally about, you know, like what they see marketed to mass audiences. Uh, you know, of course, of course, Call of Duty, like, doesn't really appeal to too many senior citizens because that's not the kind of experience they're looking for. They're looking for, you know, something else, uh, f f a flight sim or, or something else that just appeals to their values and their lived experiences and whatnot. And, uh, uh, one of the one of the best points that Bob raised when we were talking about that was think about how much money uh, a demographic like that has that the industry is just flat out ignoring or or that the the core industry your PlayStation your Xbox your uh, switches are not capitalizing on because that's not the core demographic that they want to market to. Probably Nintendo a little less so. Nintendo likes to market itself as a family, all ages thing. But mm -hmm. uh, uh, and I and I think of that too, less so in the sense of money, but just in the sense of yeah, there is an audience there, and you don't have to do that much more work to appeal to that to to the audience looking for accessibility commentary. Uh, right. and, and it's, I guess we, we can dive into this as, as it is, uh, one of the big next gen changes that we discussed while brainstorming this was on the media side and seeing more resources dedicated to that accessibility coverage. Uh, there are, you know, various projects, uh, in the works that I, we won't go into, uh, just cause everything is up in the air, uh, in this COVID world. But, uh, yeah, are there any other like aspects of, how big media organizations like IGN, GameSpot, Eurogamer, uh, YouTube, etc. Uh, are there any thoughts as to how they tackle accessibility coverage and <laughs> positive changes they could make uh, when we roll into next gen this holiday? Uh, I have thoughts, trademark. Please, please. Uh, as, and I know this sounds so pretentious, I hate when I say it, but I have to say, as a journalist in the industry, it's so infuriating to still see disabled voices and disabled stories being treated as niche pieces, mm -hmm. right? You really don't see disabled bylines unless something major has happened, like Secure or Last of Us or um, the Adaptive Controller. Or you see them appear as like sympathy pieces. Mm -hmm. Like look at this poor, sad, disabled individual, but they can play games, so let's all write a piece about them. And within the recent year, 
with areas like a slight increase in disabled bylines. Um, shameless plug, I had two at the Boston Postal Launcher. I saw, that was great. Essentially, um, two months apart, which was huge, because neither of those stories were framed under the uh, sympathy or niche pieces. Mm -hmm. They were, for all intents and purposes, just generic stories with a disability lens. And now on the flip side, you have like IGN and Kotaku who publish stories who framed it under the niche or sympathy pieces. And so I'm really hoping that as Tampa grows in popularity, because it's it's proof our success is proof that you don't need to categorize us under these clickbaity media worthy titles to get views if you just let us produce news reviews features and opinions there's an audience for that and i really hope that as next gen kicks in that media companies will understand that just like the developers there is an audience to include disabled people in your everyday news and you should really start to do so yeah yeah what do you what do you think courtney um i agree with everything grant said he and i agree with each other quite a lot we do yeah we also disagree a lot but you know that's, that's another story so uh employment <laughs> yeah um but i i i think on the flip side of the issue is not to toot our own horn but you know can I play that has accomplished something that no other outlet like ours has. And I think it is largely because we abide by those journalistic ethics. And I've seen other people, not other people, other, other sites kind of want to jump on the, the accessibility train. Like, Oh wow. Everybody's talking about it now. Let's get in on that. Mm -hmm. But instead of, sourcing that content from disabled people they're trying to plug it into just general stuff and i think there's a huge risk of getting it wrong and generalizing you know there's there's a reason we do our reviews the way we do them because i am never as a hard of hearing person i'm never going to understand what it's like to play a game as a, as a sightless person or as someone with color blindness or ADD, you know, I'm never going to have Grant's experience trying to play a game. So how can I accurately assess what he needs to play a game any more than he could assess what I need to play a game when I can't hear it, right? So when you, when you try to do the coverage without letting disabled writers do it, you run the risk of mis misleading your audience. And I don't think that a lot of the big sites are really aware of that. Yeah, I, I could definitely see that. It's it's kind of like how uh, you, you look at the same news story, uh, you know, covering something controversial like a, a protest or uh, a social injustice of some sort. And the story as written by a, a white person will have a different language and angle and uh, uh, lived context than if that story was written by a person of color. 
Um, right. And that's, you know, it's, 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 it's a weird balancing act. Cause like I've been in a, a leadership position before back in college. So like low stakes, but uh, where we, we had a story um, idea come up and it had something to do with uh, w women uh, in the games industry. And I kind of immediately went for um, uh, a, a woman on the staff that we had and had had to have like a, a very like blunt conversation later about like, hey, don't treat this one person as uh, uh, the the be all end all perspective on this. And I was like, OK, cool. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I should diversify even within that instead of. Uh, having a one token person, of course. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I, 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 I imagine even you guys uh, are, are trying to make some improvements as far as uh, what accessibility you are allowing for uh, when it comes to freelancers pitching you content. Uh, you recently oh, had a post calling out um, you wanted uh, black indigenous people of color to uh, pitch more stories because you finally had a little bit of budget to pay for that. Uh, can you guys tell me a little bit about that decision and what kinds of like considerations you guys had to, to make to uh, uh, put that out there? I don't know if you view our staff page, but we are very white. Uh, yeah. <laughs> every single one of us. Um, and the thing about being disabled you only get, like you mentioned with the protest piece, you only get one side of the story. Mm -hmm. And that's not what we're about. We want everyone to share their experiences and everyone to feel welcome at our site. So we were finally in a position where we could pay writers um, because we don't want free labor because we understand that's like touchy especially for disabled people so we didn't want to force people essentially to write for us for free mm -hmm. so now that we're in a position where we can pay we want to use the funds to actually actively elevate marginalized voices where they aren't really present currently if that makes sense so say that again I, I i missed the last bit there i think because of the so, internet yeah we want to use the funding that we now have to elevate marginalized voices, which we've noticed are currently being shared or praised. Right, right. Yeah, I, I if I'm being entirely honest, I cannot really think of a single uh, person of color with a disability that I know as a uh, uh, consistent um, source of commentary in the games industry. Uh, it's just they're they're not given a level of uh uh their own accessibility into the media side of things uh as it is you know right and for me it was the decision was something that had been kind of eating at me for a long time but it was only recently that we came into a position to be able to pay and we still can't pay for every single piece we can currently pay for one piece once a month but mm -hmm. you know it's progress but considering the fact that the site was co-founded with by by susan and i susan was uh, an arab woman 
who had to change her name after 9-11 to even mm. get a job interview, you know? And so I, I, a lot of my drive for Can I Play That is continuing it in a, a manner that she would be proud of, you know? And this felt like the next big step in that because as, as I took it over after she passed away and it kind of fell on me to do the whole thing and then Grant joined, it kind of happened that, okay, well, we can just do this as a volunteer thing. And everybody that volunteered was white. And that's, you know, that's just how it happened. Because right. like I said, there, as, as white people in this industry, a lot of us simply cannot think of more diverse voices which is, you know, it's indicative of a much bigger problem. But for us, this was an important first step to tackle that problem as best we can. No, yeah, I, uh, and I think it's it's super great of you guys to uh, be thinking very bluntly about uh, those needs. Because, yeah, you're right. It's uh, even even in more um, general circumstances, when a when a smaller site, you know, calls out for the the volunteer people are generally white people because that is uh, a more privileged demographic kids who I, I lived with my parents after college for like two and a half three years uh and worked on my freelancing with ign while holding down like a barnes and noble job and like that's just not an opportunity a level of opportunity uh you know not having to pay rent uh that that a lot of people have yeah that's absolutely right mm -hmm. I, um, you know, I think, uh, I'm trying to think if there was another question about the media side, but, um, what, uh, going a little bit further back to, uh, some hardware stuff, I, I, I didn't understand this. Um, I think this was another piece by, uh, the good old Mr. Ben Bayless, uh, talking about concerns over the new PS5 controller and how, uh, the DualSense, the, the PS5 controller's new name, um, is is you cannot use a DualShock uh, PlayStation 4 controller on a PlayStation 5. You have to use that DualSense. And that creates, apparently, a number of uh, accessibility concerns for people who have to have specialized uh, usage of their controller. Uh, what, what, can you guys explain that? And, you know, what is, what is the, what is the like long-term solution to that, uh, in, in the end, if we want to make sure people still have, uh, access to controllers that they can use? So during the Gamescom opening sequence, I think the opening day, they showed a demo for Ratchet and Plank, right? And they demonstrated how the DualSense triggers work. And it was very terrifying because in order to use one of the specific weapons, if you pull the trigger a bit, it fires off one round. If you pull it all the way, it fires off two rounds, right? And for physically disabled people, that's a nightmare because we can't really use triggers. Mm -hmm. So for those who have adaptive controllers like myself for the PlayStation, the fact that we can't bring it up to the next generation means that until companies like Able Gamers 
or evil controllers or other modification groups design accessible dual senses, the PlayStation is essentially off limits. With the new Xbox, they came right out and said any controller from Xbox One you can use on a new system. Mm-hmm. So already, disabled individuals don't have to worry because if they're comfortable with the Elite controller, they can just use that. If they use the Adaptive controller, they're good to go. They don't have to wait potentially months or years for a solution from Sony when Sony themselves, because they were questioned on social media after the Gamescom demo, they were like, we can't really say anything, just know we're working on something. And even though that's moderately comforting, that's not something you really want to tell people who are actively invested in purchasing your system. Because what what timeline are you speaking of? A few months, a few years? Like, how are we supposed to feel comfortable in your products right. if we don't know what we're getting? And I, I would imagine there's also the uh, the sense of a timeline, like, ending as well. Like, you know, uh, well, okay, if you didn't start with uh, support for these accessibility options, um, will like when you do bring support to it, will that support one day end and like we'll be, you know, left outside the door once again kind of feeling, yeah. The, um, yeah, I, I think a lot about uh, how um, you have like Android and iOS, you know, is I'm not a big tech guy, but like I know enough about, you know, Android is like a, a regarded commonly as like an open OS an open platform that you can do a lot more with, um, you know, you can still download Fortnite directly from a website if you want, like on your Android phone, you just can't do it from Google Play right now. Uh, but iOS is a closed platform. And it's, it's weird to think about PlayStation uh, versus Xbox in traditional sense of, um, you know, PlayStation has uh, uh, demonstrably sold more consoles than xbox it's just that's just a fact and you would think that in the interest of keeping that number higher uh the 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 investment would be their right to say okay yes maybe we're we're adding some changes to the controller just to like give it a cool update uh but uh it it's 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 the xbox is the actual winner there because uh, it is it is the platform that works and that like not only can you use any controller right? like you like you mentioned Grant with uh, the the uh, oh shoot I my brain just blanked the accessibility controller uh, mm-hmm. uh, what's the what's the name of it um, it's not adaptive control. adaptive I was like a a a the you can you can modify that and and tailor it to your specific needs and the fact that that will apply to the series x and s is like quite frankly like a like i'm reading a book about uh video game engineering right now and just like the science that goes into engineering how a console works and how all the things like you know click over at the right moment to make it to make it work as as intended is nuts uh and and the fact that xbox invested enough to make sure that you could just move that up 
one console is is pretty impressive uh, courtney i don't know if you had uh any thoughts just in general as someone who um, surveys the world of accessibility coverage um I, I think the main difference between or the, the disparity between what you see at Xbox and what you see with PlayStation is with Xbox, it's a whole initiative at Microsoft there. They have so much accessibility content um, and not to say that, that PlayStation and Sony aren't committed, but at least from what I have seen, they don't have the the Sony company wide initiative to mm-hmm. include disabled people in in literally every aspect of the company. You know, Microsoft has free educational materials to teach educators how to create um, accessible online content to teach during the pandemic, and like I I haven't really seen anything like that from a company-wide level come from sony so i I think it's it's harder for them maybe to be as dedicated to accessibility as uh xbox is just because i and i can't say this for certain but you know it, it doesn't seem like it's part of their core values you know yeah i uh the um you you raise the great point of like it is a kind of company-wide initiative where we we see xbox like making a lot of uh really great strides in that sense of hey game pass is a really uh easily available program that like if you don't want to pay 60 dollars for microsoft for you know gears 5 or some other first party microsoft game you know five ten bucks a month 15 if you like are doing that uh ultimate subscription um, that to me screams like a, an interest in a level of accessibility, getting people into other kinds of games that they may not have. There, there are so many games where it's like, well, I, I wouldn't pay 30 bucks for this, but like, you know what? It's like, it's on this service that I'm already paying for. Like, yeah, yeah, I'll give it a shot. And mm-hmm. uh, I, I appreciate Microsoft for, um, I, I imagine that also has to be, an accessibility concern that like next gen could have a, a legitimate impact on is just financial accessibility. Uh, right. uh, I, I'm sure, you know, it comes to uh, as a shock to no one that like a lot of uh, people with disabilities don't have uh, a large amount of money. There's they run the gamut, but uh, it, it has been interesting to learn about financial concerns um, uh, via Aiden and her work with you, and you guys and uh, some other uh, writers in the space. And I, I think pretty often about like how, how easy it is to say like, yes, I can get into this new game with my friends because it's on Game Pass uh, or some other subscription service as opposed to, well, I have to chisel into my grocery budget or my rent budget to pay 60 or maybe even $70 this generation uh, for a new game. What Do you guys have any thoughts about that? Um, I, don't, I, I honestly don't think that the financial aspect is going to get better because I think as tech continues to improve you know the the more cool things you can do with the game engine the more time it's going to take to make it the more Mm -hmm. time it takes to make it the more it's going to cost right 
So you, you do essentially have a lot of people relying on things like Game Pass and less so PlayStation. What is it? PlayStation Now? Yeah. 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 Um, because they're a subscription and you're not taking that risk. And I think that's especially important for disabled people because it's still not common practice. You see studios like uh, Square Enix and Ubisoft releasing um, accessibility info well before uh, the game's released, but it's still not really common practice to do that. So a lot of the time, until we review it or until another site like ours gets it reviewed, disabled people don't have a clue if they'll even, okay, I'm going to buy this game. Can I get past the menu, you know? So I think not only does it help with the affordability aspect, but it, it, it helps all of accessibility because there's still that huge unknown area. Grant, what do you think? I think Game Pass, like Courtney said, is very beneficial for disabled individuals. Um, That doesn't mean that the systems themselves are financially accessible. Mm -hmm. I know for a fact um, the adaptive controller with the Logitech kit and the other modules you decide to purchase can be upwards of $300. And that's not very exciting. Game Pass is great, but if I have to spend $300 on a controller, that kind of defeats the purpose. Um, So I I do feel that that it is very beneficial, but it's also a double-edged sword in the sense that it's affordable, but just to be able to play the games you need mm-hmm. several hundred dollars to do so and i guess that that goes a long way in doubly highlighting the uh the need for uh intergenerational um uh compatibility with controllers and whatnot like we discussed a minute ago because uh, god help you if you had to buy another $300 adaptive controller that actually worked with uh, a Series X or, you know, a, a DualSense controller for the PS5. You know, I it's about 9.55 where I am here, and I don't want to keep you guys too long. Uh, were there any other... We, we kind of brainstormed some other ideas like low-vision gaming setups or just port solutions on uh, the hardware itself. Is there... Um, are, are, besides that, or including that... Are there any other aspects of next-gen gaming that you guys uh, really feel like need to be uh, uh, focused on in terms of accessibility uh, as we uh, quick, very quickly approach the next-gen? Um, I, th- I think it would be helpful to look at previous-gen. Um, one of the things that I've noticed playing games from xbox 360 or even the original xbox uh ports that are now available on xbox one at least in terms of deaf and hard of hearing accessibility strictly speaking about subtitles and and stuff like that the accessibility from previous gen was better than current gen and it makes me worry that next gen as graphics improve things will continue to become sharper and smaller and oh let's move this 
even further out of the way mm -hmm. so you can see how pretty this environment is, you know. So I, I think it would be helpful to for, for developers to keep in mind practices from last gen as they go into next gen. Certainly, yeah. Grant, how about you? I, I hope that in the future, developers will not force players to use gimmicky mechanics in games because those often create unintentional barriers that they use to market the games like um, the grappling hook in the new Halo Infinite. Right. It looks cool, but we don't know how it really works. So will it create a barrier? Do you need to use it? Um, is it purely optional? So I wish if they do add those mechanics that they are at a purely optional base because they they overcomplicate um, specifically for mobility purposes. They add too many buttons and combinations that you essentially don't need for a single game. Yeah, I, um, it's funny. I, I was just playing a relatively well, not not a new game, but Spellbreak, the uh, the free to play Wizard Battle Royale, and I, I got really concerned when uh, one of the mechanics is like you know fly up and you can uh, you know shoot a magic missile or something at somebody, and the the default controller scheme was uh, like really really bad in the sense of like I had to do that twist my hand thing over like like claw my playstation controller and like i have rheumatoid arthritis which is comparatively like a, a fairly minor disability because i'm still like very able-bodied in a general sense but it like it hurt my hands and i'm like well this sucks like thank god that like there's a little bit of remapping i can i can uh take care of it with but uh just yeah the the sense that um uh, gimmicky game mechanics. Uh, I think that's also why I, as a gamer, have started to gravitate towards like strategy games and card games and some like just slower paced stuff. Aside from Call of Duty, I've I've become a Call of Duty bro this year, sadly. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I think that's why I've gravitated towards uh, slower paced games, uh, just because. I, I, I still get that mental tingle from something, but like I don't have to uh, engage with Twitch controls that, uh, you know, a, a, a pro CSGO player at the age of 14 is going to like destroy me. And there's my cat feeder. That is the <laughs> that is the uh, mark of the end of the episode. No, it's okay. Guys, I want to thank you so much for taking some time out of your day. Um, I know you guys are typically pretty busy with uh, all your work and juggling your jobs, but uh, I it is my hope that conversations like this can uh, continue on in the future. Um, and be a much more regular part of sites like IGN, GameSpot, and elsewhere, uh, and just become a much more normal part of the conversation. So I would love for people, if you are listening to this episode, you should definitely check out Can I Play That? Uh, Courtney, where you know where can people find uh, your work? Uh, it's canIplaythat.com, obviously, but where can they find uh, you on social media? Uh, we have a site-wide account, and we also have all of our editors have their own personal accounts. And we 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 tend to use the social the site-wide account for links only, and uh, 
a lot more discussions are being had on our personal accounts and mm -hmm. all of that is linked on our meet the staff page on the site. Awesome. And Grant, uh, where can people find you on social media? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at super underscore crypt 1994. Awesome. And, you know, is, looking forward to the future, is there anything that you guys are just, uh, whether it be your work with Can I Play That or elsewhere, is there anything that you guys are excited and uh, want to promote real quick? Sure, yeah. Next yeah. week I, uh, I'm recording a, and this has nothing to do with games, so it's really exciting for me Ooh, to step out fancy. of my... Yeah. <laughs> but uh, with some really, really awesome writers... Um, I am doing a roundtable discussion on inclusion and accessibility in publishing and literature. And we're going to be recording that next week to publish on September 25th. So look for information for that on my Twitter at Psychopedia Brain. And awesome. yeah, I'm excited for that. And Grant, do you got anything coming up in the future that you're excited to uh, promote? I am just hitting the uh, freelancer grind, sir. Hopefully you can see my byline in the future, and if not, uh, you can see it on time later. You'll have to you'll have to help me get landed at a Wapo here soon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so great! All right, guys, thank you so much for taking some time. And folks, you can find the 1099 on social media at the 1099 podcast. You can find me at Joseph Noop. That's J O S E P H K N O O P. Feel free to rate and review the show. That really helps us climb the ranks there on the podcast uh, uh, totem pole. And I uh, hope you all are staying safe. Let us know what you thought of the episode. Feel free to suggest future guests. And I'm excited to talk to Ed Smith uh, from APF, the one of the core creators of the Imagination Machine, one of the first uh, black men to work in the games industry, as it were. Uh, he wrote a wonderful book called Imagine That, and that will be a hopefully wonderful conversation. Very excited for that. So yeah, hope you all take care, stay safe, and we will see you next time.